Well, that was great, wasn't it? Isn't that awesome? Great job, guys. That's super good. You did a wonderful job. And uh, this night, Jelly Bean Night, is sponsored by the Dental Association of uh, Treasure Valley. Uh, they provide the jelly beans, and uh, it helps them pay for their tennis court. And so we're grateful for that. Hey, the light that, that shines brightest shines at home. It's the furthest light. It's going to be brighter at home. Is that right? You believe that? Amen. Let me see something. Could we show this on the screen here, brother? Could you give me that? Let's... I want to just show you. There it is. My word. Listen. You know what that is? That's revival on two wheels. Okay, you can put it up. I'll just cut it up. I've showed videos at my church, and all of a sudden, the motorcycle come out. Who put that up there? Everybody's like rolling their eyes. Like, he's got problems, you know. Oh, man. Well, I want to just say how much I've enjoyed this, and, and uh, it's been a great week. I want to thank, thank uh, the piles. We had lunch together. Had so enjoyed. Susan and I just left, just talking about what a wonderful family, and so enjoyed them, and and they had a great time uh, with them, and uh, thank God that he's here in the valley. I'm 65 years old. I've been preaching, yeah, that's a while, I am. <laughs> Never mind, no one will say anything. But um, I've been preaching for 40-something years, and Sometimes you think that when a guy reaches a certain level that he's sort of on cruise control, but that's not what you want to do. You can do that, but you don't want to. And I need fellowship just like everybody else. I need encouragement just like everybody else. I need, I need uh, buddies in the ministry that I can talk to and can talk to me and we understand... Um, what some of the challenges and the pressures are about, and um, uh, I'm so grateful. I loved Brother Hetzer and, and was a dear friend of mine, and when he moved, I, I was just, you know, I, it, it bothered me some, and, and it bothered me for you because I, I didn't know what God would do here. I knew this was not his church. It was the Lord's church, and when you watch what God has done here, I think it's a tremendous testimony to God's love for you and God's love for this valley and His grace. And I'm sure glad that the piles are here. And I don't know that I've seen something that I felt like from a distance, I realized, was, was any more of a smoother transition. And uh, they are God's people for this place, and I love them. And I, I mean this with all my heart. If I wasn't at South Valley, I could, I could come here uh, sit on a pew and uh, let him be my pastor and and put my shoulder to the plow and work uh, just as easy as I could anywhere in the nation. And so I'm thankful for that. You're in a great place, and um, it's obvious that God is working here. I like what he said earlier because I, I want to tell you what I believe about families. I believe I believe that there are there is accountability in a family unit. I believe that. I believe, I believe that families are accountable to each other. That's, that's positive peer pressure. That's we were raised in the same home. We, we know the same things. And, and you pressure each other to do what's right is the way it should be. And in the house of God, there ought to be some positive peer pressure. There ought to be some accountability. Like, where were you? Why weren't you here? And, uh, and, and not so much, Nellie, you know, I, I talk with our people about, uh, I love it when, when Jesus came and showed himself to the disciples, and Thomas wasn't there. And they said, they didn't say to Thomas, you sorry, backslidden, no count, you know, disciple, you know, my word, uh, how come you're missing church? You know what they said to him? We saw the Lord. Man, we saw the Lord. And the best thing you can do for people that aren't here is just say, what a service. My, my, we had a service. The preacher brought, brought, brought a, Pastor Pyle brought a message today that just so moved God was in it and, and uh, make it an exciting place. And uh, I'm just praying that God will continue to use West Valley 
uh, as a great lighthouse and uh, that, that the light of his love will shine to a lost and dying world. That's my prayer for you. I want you to open your Bible tonight over to the book of Romans. And I'm going to keep some with the theme to, uh, that, we've been, that we've been dealing with. And, uh, and I'm going to use some scripture that I actually used at camp a, a couple of years ago. Uh, but I feel like the Lord would have us go here uh, on this final service tonight. So we'll, uh, we will look in the book of Romans chapter number 4. And the Bible says in chapter 4 of Romans, verse 13, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, in that verse, you find two things. Number one, you find the subject. What is this portion of Scripture, this passage about? It's about faith. The second thing you find is the illustration that God is going to use to illustrate faith. So the subject is faith. The person that he's using to illustrate the subject is Abraham. Verse 14. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Father, help us, please. Lord God, I pray in this closing night as we, Lord, uh, wind this part of the conference up and, and then, Lord, begin some days of prayer as we think and consider uh, Lord, with each family on what they'll give toward faith promise this year, I pray that you would do thy work in our hearts and our lives and uh, bless this church in an unthinkable way, Lord. I pray that you would pour down upon these dear people and this pastor and his family your grace and your mercy and, uh, Lord, help them to be a great lighthouse in this community. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Now, I'm going to speak to you tonight on the subject of faith. And I, I would like to venture by saying and beginning tonight that never in all the years that this church has been in existence and however long that you've been saved, have you ever been to a Bible preaching church that in some form or fashion, the message from that pulpit did not deal either directly or indirectly with the subject of faith? The reason for that is because every single thing we do as Christian people, it's all wrapped up, it's all intertwined, it's all bound by this subject of faith. Now we talked about this week how that um, we were to, you know, found people, find people. And then we talked about the church being the light of the world, that our lights don't shine within so that we can look at each other and say, wow, you're really sharp. But it shines out so that people can, can uh, uh, see the truth of the light of God's love. We talked about uh, the human uh, touch and how we have to go into sometimes areas that are not our comfort zone and we have to reach into those areas and bring that human touch to people and, and, and in doing so, uh, we are the extension of God's embrace, of God's touch, and of God's heart 
in, in the life of, of difficult people sometimes. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a co-worker, but the whole world, what they're looking for is the human touch, and that's why Christ came down clothed in human flesh so that the world through him might experience that human touch. And now tonight we're talking about faith. Because the reality of the matter is, faith is the vehicle through which we have light to see God. You see, we can take this out and shine it into a lost world and we can find the world. You know, we, we found people, find people. We're looking for people. We're going into uh, the, 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 the street straight and down to the home of Judas and we're trying to find down there a, a man named Saul and so we're, we're carrying that light to him. The reality of the matter is that as believers, what you and I need desperately is we need somehow... Uh, to have our relationship with God illuminated so that we can know exactly what it is that the Father would have us do. And the light that illuminates that for us is this subject of faith. Now, let me, let me say this to you. First of all, we are saved by, by, our, by placing our faith in Christ. For by grace are ye saved through what? Faith, okay? It's not of yourselves. Uh, uh, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so the reality of the matter is simply this. In the very beginning of this Christian journey, we are saved by grace through faith. And then the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 11, verse 20, that we are to stand by faith. And, and 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, says that we walk by what? Faith, not by what? Sight. And so here's the reality of the matter is, I, I am literally blinded as to what God wants me to do and how God wants me to live and, 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 and uh, the, the person that God wants me to be, I can't in my flesh see that. I'm blinded. I can't see anything. There's, there's, there's no possibility that in my flesh... I can understand and grasp and see what God wants me to be. And so how, how then do I see? We walk by faith. And so faith is the light that illuminates God for me and allows me not only to see God, but to see God's face, to see God's direction, to see where God wants me to go in my life, to see who God wants me to be in my life, and so it is by faith that that's illuminated. Now, faith cometh by and hearing by the Word of God. So here's the lamp, and, and, and when I read it and I place my faith in it, it illuminates my light, my life for me. Somebody said, faith is walking to the edge of all the light you have and taking one more step. Uh, and I like that because what happens is you get there and it's like, well, I don't know what to do, so what do I do? I, I, take, a st I, take, a, I take a faith step. I take a faith step. I, I, I have to step out on what God wants me to be. Now, let me say this to you. If this is a missions conference, and it is, then this is a faith conference. Because you can't do anything. Now, now this weekend, uh, and, and I know, uh, you know, you're like everybody else. It doesn't all may, may, it may not all come in on Sunday. So I know it takes a little time to accumulate this. But over the next so, so long, and, and, and hopefully a lot will be prayed up and ready by Sunday, you're going to be turning in cards. And, 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 and what you're going to do there is you're going to take steps of faith. Okay? Faith is going to show you what God would have you do. Let me help you with this. God's not going to dial your cell phone and you pick it up and he says, yeah, here's what I want you to do. God's not going to do that. It's going to be by the eyes of faith that light shines on this situation and you know exactly what God wants you to do, but it's always going to be a step of faith. I think that sometimes... Because we're human and fleshly, we want to be somewhat humanistic in our approach to ministry. 
okay? Uh, and, and it's sort of like, well, tell me what to do. Sometimes there are people, you know, we talked about some, some churches that w- where you go in and it's very rigid and, and very controlling and Christian liberty isn't even recognized and you're told exactly every single thing to do. And the reality of the matter, that's not the faith life. That's not what faith is all about. And, and, and so um, uh, uh, we, we, we want to be humanistic sometimes in how we operate our Christian life and, and our, our ministries. And, and sometimes we just want to be a copy and paste. We just want to copy and paste somebody else's life and somebody else's uh, a walk with God when the reality of the matter is uh, it all has to boil down to faith. What does God want you to do? What does God want you to give? What, how does God want you to serve? How do you know that? Faith. Faith. Faith shines light on your life and God's will and you operate by faith. Now when God called me to come to Idaho, I've been pastoring in Georgia for, for, for 40 years and, and uh, uh, man, I, I just, I, I, you know, for, well, not for 40 years, but for, for, for a long time I'd been there. And um, uh, God, was, God was moving. He's getting me ready. And, and my whole life, had, my whole ministry had been spent there. And, and so when I felt God moving on my heart, my idea was simply this. I, I, you know, I, I loved it. I came out here, fell in love with it immediately. I did a men's conference out here and, and just moved me. And so I, I just thought this is a great idea you know, for me to move out here and plant a church in a place that didn't have as many churches. And so my idea was here, God, I, I, I like Idaho. I love it. If I had to move anywhere from Georgia, I'd move to Idaho. So I, I'm all in. I, I like it. But I've got children and, 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 and I've also got an income from the church where I'm pastoring. And I've been there a while and, and I don't know how this is all going to work out. So I'm just going to leave this out here. And if you'll just fill out for me the steps that are going to take place to get me where everything's okay and I can feed my family and tell me who my kids are going to marry and how it's all going to work out, if you'll sign on the bottom, I'll sign right under your name. And so I, I just want to leave that out for God. And Lord, if you'll, just, if, you'll just, if you'll just show me, if you'll show me, no, no, if you'll show me, if you'll let me walk by sight, I'm all in. But God don't work on the sight level. God works on the faith level. A friend of mine, Jim Rushing, who was an evangelist, one of the dear friends of my life, he came over and picked me up one night. Let's go out to eat. He said, I know something's happened in your life. I want to know what's going on. And so we, I began to tell him some of the things I was thinking about leaving and coming here. And he said this to me. He said, uh, Brother Dean, you just need to play checkers with God. I thought, man, dude, you've been in the sun too long. Uh, you need to relax. Get an Indian. Ride it. But anyhow, I, 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 and so I said, what are you talking about? I said, you know, he said, have you ever played checkers? I said, Doc, of course I've played checkers. He said, okay. He said, somebody makes a move, and then it's your move. And they won't move again until you move and then their move will be in direct relation to your move. So he said, this is the way I look at your life. God's already made his move. And you're sitting around waiting on God to make another move and another move and another move. He said, God's not going to move again until you respond to what he's told you to do in, in, in his will for your life. And so the reality of the matter is, when I surrendered my life to come to Idaho, when I made that faith step, after God began to move in my life, then everything began to fall into place. And as I responded to the light that God was giving me by faith, then everything began to work together. And I wound up out here and we planted uh, the South Valley Baptist Church over in Cuna, Idaho. And so I'm just going to tell you, God, listen, and it, li- listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved or how many faithful pins you have for Sunday school without missing a day of attendance, you mark this down. As long as you're living in the flesh, you're going to want to walk by sight because that's what your flesh craves. Show me. Like Missouri. It's the show me state. Show me and I'll do it. And God said, no, I'm going to point you 
And then you've got to go where I point. I'm not showing you. And so that's, that's how God operates. In fact, the Bible said in Romans 14, 23, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Man, that's, really? Wait, wait a minute. It's not really bad. God said, no, no, no. If you're not doing it by faith, that's a sin. See, the only life, listen, the only life that God accepts is the faith life. You know why? Because there's a, there's a thin line sometimes between doing good in the flesh and doing bad in the flesh. And so whatever we're doing, if it's in the flesh, we're not far from doing something we shouldn't do in the flesh. So God said, I don't want anything done by flesh. I want, I want your life. I want the way you walk. In fact, he says four times in the Bible, the just shall live by faith. And so God said, I want you to know that any time you get to a place to where you're doing something and it's not by faith, I want you to know in my eyes it's sin. Now, now, now listen, let me help you with something. Let me explain God to you just for a second. And you figured this out probably by now if you've been saved very long. But I want to tell you what God's going to do for you. He's going to stretch you beyond your means. He's going to stretch you. See, if you're living, if your life is not by faith, if you're living within your comfort zone, God is looking down on you and saying, nah, that ain't good enough. You're comfortable there. I don't you know, that's why you come to a missions conference, God will touch your heart, and man, it's good. And then two years later, he's nailing you again, uh, you know, about giving more money. And you're like, man, we just gave two years ago. And God's saying, yeah, but you're comfortable with that now. I want you to give more. And, I, I, you know, it might not be a big step. Listen, God's going to call you from your comfort zone. Uh, he may not move you from Georgia to Idaho or from Idaho to Georgia, but God's not going to let you stay in your comfort zone because as long as you're in your comfort zone, you're not living by faith, you're living by sight. So God wants to move you. He wants to stretch you. That's how we grow. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, listen to this, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, number one, must believe that he is, number two, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does that mean? Number one, you've got to believe that God is. That means you've got to believe that God is who God said God is. Number two, you've got to believe that God will do what God said He'll do, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You've got to believe that God is who God said He is and that God keeps His promises. Now, this is a missions conference. Okay? Think of the Sheridans. I say, boy, aren't the Sheridans, and I love them, aren't the Sheridans great people? Yes, sir, preacher, they are. Do you believe God's going to bless the Sheridans? I do. Do you think that God's hand's on the Sheridans? I do. Do you think God's going to prosper that ministry? I do. What about the Hetzers? Preacher, I'm going to tell you, I believe God's going to bless David and Amy and the kids. I I think God's hand's there. Look at them baptizing people. You know that lady that ran? I was thinking, yeah, I'll be running too. Son, are you kidding me? You know, you just lay people down and let the ocean come to them. I mean, what you didn't see was there were 10 people to get baptized. Only two left when it was over with. But anyhow, I mean, Jonah, anyhow. So I'm just, do you you think God's going to bless the Hetzers? Absolutely. I mean, look, look, look 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 at the missionaries that you've had here. And here's the deal. We all have faith that God's going to use them and bless them, and we're excited there in our church family. But what about you? You believe God will do the Hetzer's miracle, but what about your miracle? See, here's the reality of the matter is, it, it, he that cometh to God must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder 
of them that diligently seek him. You've got to believe that God will keep his promises. So I'm not asking you tonight, do you believe God will bless the Hetzers and, and, and the Sheridans uh, and, and the rest of the missionaries? Are there? I'm not asking, do you believe God will bless the piles? I'm not asking you, do you believe that, that, that God will uh, uh, bless uh, Theavi and Roth? Now, I'm not asking you uh, if you believe that God will bless Z. I, I'm not asking you believe that God will bless Brother Robbie and his family. No, no, I'm asking you, can God do for you what you need God to do? Do you have faith that God can do the things that you need God to do? Not substitutionary faith for someone else. I'm talking about personal faith in God. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is in verse number 17. So let's look over there. Romans chapter 4. Look with me in verse number 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. So who did he believe? Even, look at that next word, everybody say it, God. Thank both of you. Anything I love, it's massive participation. That, that actually overwhelmed me. Let's look at it again, okay? So who did he believe in? He believed in even who? God. Circle that. God. You say, preacher, are you kidding me? I came all the way to church tonight to find out that the object of my faith is God. Duh. You know, wow, that was deep, Brother Dean. Wow. Let me get my pen out. I'm to have faith in God. Hey, kids, look what the preacher just said. Have you ever heard something so radical? We're to have faith in God. Let me ask you a question. If it's so simplistic, why is he the last resort? You ever had somebody come up to you like they do in the South and they come up and say, Preacher... I know when their voice is quaking, son, they're serious. I mean, this, it's on. It's on. When your voice quakes in the south, it's on. <laughs> Brother Dean, yes, ma'am. All we got left now is God. Really? Dude. Do that. I mean, whatever. You're, really? All you got left is God. Let, let, I may be confused here, but let me, let, me, let me just, can I ask you this? Is that the God that spoke the worlds into existence? Is that the God that hung the stars in space and that by His power they remain? Is that the God that gives light to the sun, reflection to the moon, life to the earth? Is that the God that parted the Red Sea and, 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 and gave health to the leper and sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf? Is that the God that raised the dead? Is, is that the God that, that, that does the miracles every day around the world? Is, is, is that what you've whittled life down to? Is that all you've got left? God, you're doing pretty good. This is a shocking statement, so grab somebody next to you or hold on to the, the pew. I mean, you need to, I'm serious, you need to get a hold of something right now because I'm going to shock the socks off of you. God's better than Visa and MasterCard. Preacher, how dare you? No. Now, we'll try Visa and MasterCard and Visa and MasterCard and Visa and MasterCard, and when we've made a mess of our life, we'll pick the shards up and come back to God and say, um, I, could you help me? You know, all we can do now, preacher, is pray. Why didn't you start with pray? That's it? I mean, you whittled it down to prayer? No, no, no. Prayer, prayer isn't the last resort. Prayer is the first resort. Prayer is... Prayer is the, the very beginning of this entire journey uh, in our Christian life. And every time, every time, listen, every time, every time we face a difficulty in our life, the thing that we ought to do is we ought to begin on our face before our God, believing that our God is able to do the things that we cannot do. He can. That's who our God is. Now, let me say this to you. Faith is only as valid as its object. So the object of Abraham's faith was God. And faith is only as valid as the object in which you place your faith. I read a story one time, I heard a story actually, of a man in Minnesota who it was the end of the winter season and they loved to ice skate and so... You know, they were, his son came to him and said, Pop, could we go out ice skate one more time? And he said, well, yeah, we'll get one more day in. 
they threw their stuff in the back of a, a station wagon and took off and drove. This has been many years ago. They took off driving down to the lake, and they got out, strapped their stuff on, sitting on the tailgate of the, of, of the uh, 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 station wagon, and they got out on the ice. He said it was a beautiful day. Sun was shining. I mean, bluebird day. Everything was great. And he said, I was just skating around. All of a sudden, I heard something. And when I did, I spun around just in time to see the ice breaking underneath the weight of my teenage son. And he began to scream and call for me. And he said, before I could get to him, before I could rescue him, I remember the weeping. He said, before I could reach him, he, he, he went underneath the frigid waters of that Minnesota lake and died. The father wept uncontrollably and said, Had I known that the ice was thin, I'd have never gone ice skating that day. You see, here's what happened. He had great faith, but it was in thin ice. Your faith is only as valid as the object in which you place it. Now, we live in a place... We live in a valley, we live in a region where people have got faith in, in, in a couple of books other than the Bible. And they're following a man by the name of Joseph Smith. And the reality of the matter, my dear friend, listen to me, that's very, very thin ice. Very thin ice. And, 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 and so you, your faith is only is, is valid as the object. I was preaching one time in... In uh, Indiana, we had breakfast, and the pastor said to me, he said, hey, there's some shops over here. Would you like to walk across the lake, and uh, we'll go to the shops? And I thought, son, something's wrong. And I said, what'd you say? He said, you want to walk across the lake? There's some nice shops over there. And I said, brother, I'm born in Georgia. I'm going to tell you something. One thing we don't do, we don't walk on lakes, okay? I, look, it don't matter to me. He said, oh, no, no, it's fine. I said, no, it's not fine. He said, no, listen, trust me, I, we do this all the time. I said, trust me, I ain't doing it one time. Now, if I'm going to walk on ice, there's going to be a four-wheel drive. I'm talking in gear with a logging chain tied around my neck. I, and when I signal, dude, if it cracks and I signal, you better get me out of there. I don't walk on ice, okay? It's just not what I do. I walk on asphalt. I, you know what I mean? I walk on dirt, clay, of all sorts and kinds, but I ain't walking on ice. But the reality of the matter is this. The reality is, even though my faith is just like this, if the ice is thick enough, it's going to hold me up. So it, it's, it, it's not so much the volume of my faith, and we'll talk about that in a moment. It's the validity of the object. I would rather have itsy-bitsy faith in God who can do anything than great faith in some other shenanigan that can't get anything done. And so it's, it's vitally important that we realize that, that, that uh, uh, our faith must be placed in an object that is valid or it does no good whatsoever. Confidence in, in, in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth. You can trust Brother Dean, and I'm going to tell you something. I'll disappoint you. Just somewhere I'm going to disappoint you. Put your faith in me. Watch me. I mean, just get out in the binoculars and the magnifying glass. Look, listen, somewhere down the line you'll say, oh, he's flawed, because we all are. But when you put your faith in Christ, the validity of that never lets you down. Second thing I want you to notice is this, and that is that it's your knowledge of the object. It's your knowledge of the object. Now stay with me. It's your knowledge of the object that determines the volume of your faith. Okay? Let's say the pastor said, folks, we want to increase our faith tonight here at West Valley Baptist Church. Would we, could we all come to the altar here and just grab little fingers or maybe pinch somebody's earlobe or... Just, just, just do something weird, and um, 
you know, I was watching Oprah Winfrey the other day, and Oprah said that, you know, there's karma. So could we just sort of bring in some, could we bring some faith in? Could you, would you agree with me on that? <laughs> and let's just get up here and let's bring some faith in and call the karma in. And let's have some faith increase tonight. You know what? That's weird. That's not how you get faith. Okay? That's just weird. You don't get faith that way. You know how you get faith? You get faith by learning about the object in which you have placed your faith. You don't psych up more faith. I love the story of David. Man, I love it. Goliath comes down and he says, Hey, you got somebody that can handle me? Bring him out here right now. Right in the valley. Come on, let's do it. Bring him out here. If he whips me, we'll serve you. If I whoop him... Then, then, then y'all will serve us. And he said, let's just get it right now and let's settle this thing right now. And the size of the giant was demoralizing. And can I tell you something about giants? They don't disappear. They have to be defeated. And if you've got a giant in your life, he'll be there tomorrow and the next day. For 40 days he intimidated them. And every time they woke up, they're thinking, dude, I hope he's not here today. Hey, hey, he's yelling at them. Every day of their life, for 40 days, they were facing the giant, scared to death, hiding in their foxholes. And then all of a sudden, David's father said, I want you to take these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches down and deliver them to your brothers. And so he took some sack lunches down there. Sure enough, in the providence of Almighty God, David walked into the camp and said, Hey, I've got some sandwiches, guys. And Goliath walks out and said, Hey, you got somebody who can whip me? And David looked around. Nobody was moving. His brothers weren't moving. Eliab, the oldest, wasn't doing a thing. And David said, Who is this guy? Is he crazy? Defying the armies of the living God and getting by with it? He's a nut. Man, I'll go down there. And so Eliab, his older brother, you know, uh, he stepped up and, and, and said, Hey, you punk, listen to me. I know the naughtiness of your heart. Get back down there and watch the, notice the words, few sheep that my father has given you and, and get out of here. You're just trying to run your mouth and hot dog it. You know what David did? You know what he said to him? Nothing. That's exactly what you ought to say to people that are trying to discourage you. Listen, faith, listen, faith always appears foolishness to people that are living in the flesh. And his older brother was living in the flesh, and so David says, I can do it. His brother just ragging on him. So David just turned his back on his brother and said, hey, is there not a cause? Somebody goes up to Saul, and they said to Saul, they said, listen, he, he, don't, he, ain't, he ain't much. He's not real big. But he's talking big. You ought to at least give him a hearing. So Saul calls up and says, son, why should I send you down to fight this guy? He's been fighting longer than you've been living. Why should I do that? And he said, well, I know two things about God. What's that? Well, one day I was watching my daddy's sheep. And a lion came, and I could tell by the lion he wasn't wanting to pay tootsies with the sheep. He was going to eat them. And so I said, dear God, I can't afford to lose any of my daddy's sheep, so would you give me power? And he said, God Almighty empowered me, and I bearded the lion and slew him. He said, sometime after that, a bear came with the same intent as the lion, and I thought, well, God gave me the lion, God can give me the bear. I rose up, I smoked the bear, I killed a lion, I killed a bear, and I believe that the God that gave me the lion and the God that gave me the bear... Is plenty of match for that giant right there. So he went down into the valley. He took that walk. I've been there. March a year ago, I stood in the valley of Elah. Man, I'm going to tell you, David went over to a brook and got five smooth stones, put them in his pouch, you know. He, he, he sort of had the clip loaded. You know what I'm talking about? And, you know, why did he get five, five stones? Somebody said, well, he had, Goliath had an ugly sister, a really bad cousin. His mama was a good fighter and, you know, had, had a neighbor or two that stood with him. No, no. you know why he got that? Because God never told him one stone would do the job. Anybody can, anybody can sling a stone and then haul buggy. You know what hauling buggy means? It means getting out in a hurry. You know the kid's song, um, 
He puts a sling in the stone and he says, and, and the sling went round and around and around and around. No, 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 no. No, listen. What's, 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 what's greasy and small and found between giant's toes? Shepherd boys that go round and around and around and around. He ain't going round and around. He put the sling in the stone and I believe he went, whew, whew, and God leaned over his shoulder and went, whew, and that stone hit hyperspeed. Boom. Caught Goliath right in the forehead. Nothing like that had ever entered his mind before. And so he falls over dead, and, and, and David cuts the head off and holds it up and says, Hey, my God is able. What made David face the giant? He knew something about God that the rest of that camp didn't know. He knew that God was greater than a lion and greater than a bear. I heard the story of a, an evangelist a number of years ago. I've never forgot it. He was... He was preaching for a friend in Canada. They'd been to college together, and he preached. Back in those days, we'd have revivals Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You'd be off, and Sunday you would end the meeting. And so he preached during that time, and, and uh, uh, Friday night the pastor said, Hey, we got tomorrow off. You know, would you like to go over and see Brother So-and-so that works with the Indian uh, Reservation? And he said, I haven't seen him since college. I would love to. And so... They got in their vehicle and took off. It was about a two-hour drive over there. About an hour into the drive, he, he, uh, the pastor said to him, do you know where we're at? And he said, well, yeah, we're going to see Brother So-and-so. He said, no, I know you know where we're going. Do you know where we're at? And he said, brother, it's all, I, don't, I mean, there are not even street signs out here, just nothing but white. He said, I, I have no idea where we are. And he said, we are dead center right now of the deepest lake in all of Canada. They've never found bottom to it. Now, there's swimming holes in Georgia. They say the same thing about, okay? Never found bottom to this one, you know. And he said, I looked at the pastor and said, man, this, this is a joke, isn't it? I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? We're over the deepest lake? And he said, brother, relax, relax. They say that the ice is seven feet thick here. Now, first of all, who is they? Let's get some identification. When, you, when you're going to tell me they say it and my life is depending on what they say, I want to know who they is. Amen? And so he said, they say, that he said, I don't care if it's 70 feet thick. You had no right to get me in this Volkswagen bug driving me across the deepest lake in all of Canada without at least asking me. And he said, I realized, though we were friends, he was the pastor, I was the evangelist, and I'm getting mad. So he said, I just shut up. I just shut up. He said, I looked out the window, sort of turned the best I could. And he said, I'm thinking to myself, God, I am with Pastor Idiot. I had no idea. I'm preaching a revival for Pastor Idiot. This guy's got me out here in the middle of a lake endangering my life. He said it just infuriated me. He said I was actually just trying to levitate off the seat and lift my weight up a little bit so I wouldn't be pressing down on the Volkswagen. And he said all of a sudden I, I heard a rumbling. And he said, man, my heart started cry, climbing to get out. I mean, it was crawling up. It was up in my throat just trying to get out. He said, I can just feel it right here. And he said, I knew exactly what the rumbling was. The, the, the deepest lake was splitting wide open. And me and Pastor Idiot were going, we're going to find the bottom. We're we going to find the bottom of the lake. And we're going to be frozen to death down there. The ice is going to close up. And my wife and kids will never know I'm down there, frozen by Pastor Idiot, finding the bottom of the deepest lake in Canada. And he said, all of a sudden... As it got louder and louder, he said, Whew! right past us, Louis Semi-Rig. He said, man, it blew snow dust everywhere. And he said, my jaw dropped as it rode past. And he said, I looked over at Pastor Idiot and I said, Woo! did you see what I just saw? He said, brother, I said, relax. You know what he did? He said, I started bouncing up and down on the seat, just having myself a great time. Now, you know what changed him? His knowledge of the ice. He figured out if that ice, if this ice can hold up that rig, mm, this Volkswagen is no problem at all. And what happens to us is as we, listen, that's why 
the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. That's why it's important every day of our life to read the Word of God and have a Bible reading plan in our life because it's through the reading of this book that our life is illuminated and we have faith in God because this is where you learn of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the more I know about my God, the greater my faith is in my God. We just have to keep doing it. Now let me show you something. I love this. Verse, let's look in, in chapter 4, verse 17 again, just real quick. Verse 17, watch this. As it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, watch, who quickeneth the dead. You know what that means? God can bring dead things to life. You got a dead marriage? It's not hopeless. God can bring dead things to life. You got a dead relationship with a child? God can bring dead things to life. God, God, can, God can take death and breathe life into it. And then, then notice what it says there. Um, uh, and who calleth those things which be not as though they were. Only God can bring something out of nothing. I often think about this valley and the churches that weren't and now are. You know? Every Sunday morning over in Cuna, Idaho now, there's a church that meets that was not 15 years ago. There was nobody there as far as South Valley is concerned. But what did God do? Out of nothing, he brought something. And that's the same story for West Valley and every other church that's been planted here. I want to tell you, your knowledge of the object determines your volume of the faith. We serve a God who can bring life out of death and can bring something out of nothing. Then notice verse 19. I love this verse. I want you to notice the obstacles that his faith overcame. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So what were the obstacles? The obstacle was his body, as far as reproduction was concerned, was gone. He did not have the physiological capabilities to produce a child. And and Sarah herself was barren. And she laughed when God made him a promise. But you know what Abraham did? He took that obstacle and considered himself an opportunity for God to do something great. Now, I don't know what your problems are, what your hardships are, but whatever they are, you can either look at life as an obstacle or an opportunity. I got a problem. Well, is that problem an obstacle to God's power or an opportunity for God's power to be expressed. Sometimes God presents us with a dilemma so that we can see his power. Remember, remember the feeding of the 5,000 and God looked at, at the disciples and said, um, how are we going to feed them? <laughs> hey guys, there's a lot of hungry people here. How are we going to feed them? And Philip said, uh, we don't have the money and if we had the money, There's no place to buy enough food to do this with. And you know what the Bible says? I love it. Jesus asked him that already knowing what he was going to do. Jesus already knew. Jesus said, well, let's figure this out. No, no, Jesus had it already figured out. He just presented the problem to Philip so that Philip could realize, I can't. Now, you look at me and listen to me. When we arrive at the place where we can't, We have just arrived at where God can. Your can't is his can. I can't. Great. Great. That's exactly what I wanted you to admit. That's why I brought you here, presented this dilemma to you, so that you would be face to face with the reality that you can't do anything about it. And then God moved in and fed the 5,000, and they took up basket loads of leftovers. Last of all, Verse 20 and 21, would you look there with me in chapter 4? I love these verses. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, watch this, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Did you know this? Some people make promises and can't keep them. they, they, they mean well, but they can't keep it. They, they don't have the wherewithal. They don't have the means of keeping promises. They make promises. They're sincere, but they can't fulfill 
the promise that they've made. Let me tell you something about God. Three things. First of all, God makes promises. In fact, the Bible's full of them. If you'll just get in it, they're everywhere. They're all over the place. Every page, almost. There's promises that God makes. The second thing, God can keep His promises. Listen, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Wow. God can keep His promises in a manner that you don't even think possible. That's God. So God makes promises, number one. Number two, God God, um, can keep His promises. Here's the best part. Number three, He wants to. He makes them. He can keep them. And He wants to keep them. That's the exciting thing about God is that God wants to bless his children such a way. Years ago, my oldest girl, Dixie, who teaches over at Cole Christian, was she's just a little wavy-haired auburn with golden strands in it. At the end of it, it would, it would, it would form into just little ringlets that tossed about her shoulders. Biggest struggle of my wife and my marriage that almost ruined it was when she cut those ringlets one day. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm getting bitter, so stop it. Stop. Just get me get off of that. Dixie came to me one day and she was just jitterbugging. You know, she was excited. Daddy, Daddy. I said, What, baby? She said, Daddy, guess what I want? I said, What? She said, Daddy, I want a cabbage patch doll. Now, if you don't know what a Cabbage Patch doll is, it's a monstrosity. <laughs> it looks like a colony of white-faced hornets mauled it. Okay? It's got body mumps. It, it's, the head outgrows the hair, and you've just got everywhere. I mean, just swollen fingers, swollen you know, knee. It's just, just you can actually go to Cleveland, Georgia... <laughs> my home state, and you can, you can watch one come off the assembly line. You can, you can name it and take it home with you. And then outside, there's a, there's a padded wagon, and, and they take you to a nice little cell, and you get to live with your cabbage patch the rest of your life. Well, there were like 32 bucks, and we were in those days in what my wife fondly refers to now as our poverty years. Anyhow, so... Like we were in a third world country living in Georgia. Come on. Right down the road from us, we had the Georgia Mall. It was a dollar store. Exciting thing was when they'd rearrange the shelves. But anyhow, you go to the dollar store, you go to the dollar store, and and, and you could get a baby for a buck. That's why I call it the dollar store. A baby for a buck. She's asking me for a 32. Look, honey... I, I, I can buy you a Girl Scout troop for $10. You know, I can't, I'm not paying $32 for a baby doll when we can go down to the dollar store and get, now I know they're, they're not of the same quality. Because, you know, it's the kind you pick them up, you bring them home, and, you know, you lay them back, the eyes closed, you lift it up, the eyes open, you lay it back, the eyes closed. About the fifth time you do that, one eye stays shut. <laughs> Son, you got trouble. You get up in the middle of the night and that baby just, <sighs> you're staring at you, you know. I mean, they make movies about one-eyed babies. Just <laughs> It's freaky. And if you grab the head, you know, if, if you're grabbing the head of the baby, it, it, it becomes a cup holder. You can mash the head down, stick a cup in it. You know, it, my, my sister had some and I would, you know, I would tell her to go shopping and I'd pop the arms off of them and... And, and turn the baby upside down, stick the head on a foot, and bring the covers up to it. And she would come in and say, oh, my baby's, ah! You know, freak out. Arms and legs would be rearranged. And... Dollar store. Man, they're great babies. Plenty of them. Well, I looked at her and told her what every pastor should tell their child when they can't do something. I just figured, look, I, look I, she's... I can't, she's just so sincere. So I said, honey, I got a great idea. Why don't we pray about it? What a fake statement. But anyhow, why don't we 
pray about it, meaning I ain't praying. You bother God. Please don't bother me. And so, sure enough, I remember this clearly. At that, at that our first family devotion, we'd read some scripture and then go around the room and, and, and my son prayed and then, then it was my daughter's turn and she prayed and this is how she prayed. And remember what I said about, oh God. That's exactly what she, I'm not, look, my, my wife will tell you. She prayed, she said, oh God, I want a cabbage patch so bad. And then she said this, God, if you'll give me a cabbage patch, I'll serve you all the days of my life. <laughs> I looked down at her and I said, my wife looked at me, I said, son, she's getting a hold of the horns of the altar. You know about shaking heaven. She's getting serious with this thing. Well, every time we had a family devotion, she'd pray for a cabbage patch, pray for a cabbage One time she came to me, you know, about three months in, she said, Daddy. I said, what, honey? She said, guess what? I said, what, baby? She said, I'm still praying for my cabbage patch. And I'm like, are you telling me that? Like, I don't, you're driving me nuts. I wanted to sit down and say, sit on Daddy's lap. Honey, um, people, people are dying in the world. There's wars, rumors of war. You know, uh, there's going to be a blood moon coming in a month. I mean, things are serious. Why don't you pray to God about something serious? You know, has God given you cabbage patch yet? No. Well, then why don't you just leave God alone and, while people are having heart surgery and cancer? Why don't, you, why don't you pray for them on that? But I knew if I said that, it would so break her heart. So I just said, I know, honey, yeah. Keep praying. <laughs> About three more months passed, and we went up to Cartersville, Georgia, North Georgia, to spend a couple of days with my family for Thanksgiving. When I got there, my niece, Debbie, called me aside. She said, Dean, could I talk with you a moment? As soon as we got there, I mean, as soon as we got there, walked in, could I talk with you? I said, sure. So we stepped into a side room, and she said, look, i, I got to be honest with you. She said, when, there, when there's a giveaway, I fill everything out. Every, religiously, I fill out the card, put it in the little box. I've never won anything for years I fill it all out, never want to thing. She said, I walked in our new department store, and she said, they had this box out. They had all these gifts out. And she said, I looked at them and thought, boy, that, and she said, I'm not going to do it. Then all of a sudden, she said something, said, do it. She said, I walked over, filled my name out, folded it up, dropped it in the box, and said, that'll never happen. Got home. She said, yesterday, the phone rang. Miss, Miss Bruce, yes. Um, Debbie Bruce, Yes. You filled out a card and put it in the box for our, our um, uh, a grand opening for our store. Well, yes, I did. Well, congratulations, you won a prize. Just bring your ID down to the store. We'll give you the prize. And she said, I was thinking, <laughs> finally, finally, some cookware, a microwave. They had all kind of stuff out there. And she's just thinking, man, I finally scored big. She said, Dean, I took off down there, walked in, showed them my license, and they said, well, congratulations, and they handed me this bag. And this is, this is exactly what she said next. There were no commas. There were no semicolons. They, I mean, it just all ran together. This is what she said. She said, Dean, I want a cabbage patch. I wondered if I could give it to Dixie. I started crying. I mean, I'm... Dean, I want a cabbage patch. I wondered if I could give it to Dixie. I started crying. Well, she's Southern Baptist, and I'm an independent Baptist pastor. So I'm sitting there crying. And this, so help me, I'm not exaggerating this at all. I'm sitting there crying, and, and she's, it's awkward. And so she said this to me. She said, hey, I didn't know y'all had standards against cabbage patch dolls. <laughs> That's exactly what she said to me. She said, I didn't know y'all had standards against cabbage patch dolls. She said, let's just act like I never even said it. And I'm thinking, give us some time. We'll get a standard against that somewhere. But anyhow, so I'm waving her off. No, no, no. And so I told her the story. And I said, go tell Dixie. And in the back of a house, I heard a little girl go, woo She come running in, jumped up in my arms holding the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> named him Marvin. I don't know if there's a Marvin here, but she named him Marvin, and she's got him today. Oh, Marvin. She said, Daddy, look what God gave me. And I said, Baby, you sure did. I hugged her and put her down. I said, Go tell everybody. She took off, and I closed the door behind her. 
and I wept again. And I said, my heavenly father, would you forgive me for thinking that you were so small that you couldn't handle the wars of the world and the cancer and the heart failures and yet still care enough about a little golden streaked girl than to give her a cabbage patch doll. And and honestly, I'm just being transparent. I put my arms up like this and I said, God, I'd like to just hug your neck for being a far better father than I gave you credit for. Now I want you to listen to me. Are you telling me that God cares about a cabbage patch doll, doesn't care about your child? That's wayward? God cares about a cabbage patch doll, but doesn't care about your finances, your health, your life. No, I'm telling you that, that, that the God... The God that took care of what that little girl wants, he cares as much about your wants as he cares about her wants. You must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It may be that a giant walked down in your valley and thumped his chest and defied your faith. Giants do not disappear. You're going to have to get on your knees and slay the giant. God's able to do that. It may, be, it may be that there was a prayer that you were praying and you were heartbroken over and sincere and you just gave up because it didn't come when you thought it should. You need to reach up on that shelf, take that prayer down, blow the dust off of it and pray it again. Pray for your lost loved ones. Pray for your neighbors that may be so obstinate that they've told you they don't want to ever see you again, pray for them. God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Faith lets us see the light of what God can do in our life. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you stand to your feet? I don't, I don't know what your needs are. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you Jesus will save you before you leave this place tonight. And if you'll come down to this altar, we'll take a Bible and show you how you can know you can go for heaven, go to heaven when you die through the blood of Christ. You're here tonight and there, there's something in your life. There's something that you need God to do. You've got a miracle. What's your miracle you need? What's on your heart? What's gnawing away and eating on the inside of you? And if God don't, it won't. And you've arrived at a place where you can't. And yet you're where God can. Come to this altar tonight, would you, and bring your burdens, bring your brokenness, bring your doubts. Some of you are right at the place where God can do something exceptional in your life. You just got to take a step of faith. God didn't save you for you just to remain stagnant. God saved you so that he could use you for his glory and his honor. But you've got to be willing to take that step of faith and say, yes, Lord, yes. Come on tonight. B.R. Lakin said, we'll never see revival in America till mothers soak their pillows with tears over their wayward children. Faith, have you given up on someone? Don't give up on God. God can. God can do the things that we need Him to do. God can do the miraculous. Preacher, I'd like to take a step of faith in my giving. God will let you do that. He'll tell you exactly what to do. And He'll provide for you like only a heavenly Father can do. Obey God. Faith. Faith. It it penetrates every section of the Christian life.
can look this way. I love the vividness of a little girl holding up a Cabbage Patch doll and then just saying, look at what God did. And I would, wouldn't it be great if this church was full of people who could say about one thing or another, hey, look at what God did for me. And, and the thing that God does isn't always going to be the same. And, and honestly, it's not always going to be what we wanted sometimes. But even through the challenges, we can say, look at how God helped me. Look at how God encouraged me. Look at, look at what God did. I believe this, that if we're serious, if we're serious about that idea, about wanting to be brighter at home, then we're going to face some giants. You can't, you can't engage the darkness and not face adversity. And so there will be opportunity to live this out, to live by faith and say, look what God did. That's a great challenge tonight, isn't it? And I, I love the thought that, you know, the volume of our faith is really dependent upon the knowledge of our Savior. And the more we get to know about him, the more we can see him work. Amen. That's a great, it's been a great week. For all of our guests, thanks so much for being here. And